the last few years for educators and ruckus makers alike have been incredibly challenging. But are there any stories out there where schools thrived throughout the challenge of COVID-19? Is it possible that some schools got better and better as the days went on? Well, turns out that today's guest, Dr. Shira Leibowitz, actually experienced a school where it got better and better and better and created magic for their students, even throughout the horrific pandemic. We're here to tell her story today. Hey, it's Danny, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers, those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after a few messages from our show sponsors. Learn how to successfully navigate change, shape your school's success, and lead your teams with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Get world-class Harvard faculty research specifically adapted for pre-K through 12 schools. Self-paced online professional development that fits your schedule. Teachers use TeachFX to record a lesson and automatically get personalized insights into their classroom conversation patterns and teaching practices. See TeachFX for yourself and learn about special partnership options for ruckus makers at teachfx.com slash BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. Dr. Shira Leibowitz spent two decades as a principal of pre-K through eighth grade schools before opening her own child care center and joining the faculty of Northeastern University. She is co-author of the best-selling book, The Coach Approach to School Leadership, and her latest book, Havens of Hope, Ideas for Redesigning Education from the COVID-19 Pandemic, is now available to ruckus makers. Well, hello, Shira, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Daniel. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> so in June 2019, you just opened a new school. Unbelievable, right? And in New York City, uh, no less. But the entire time you have shared with me that that your school experience kept getting better and better, right? Juxtaposing that with people who are really, really struggling, you know? So t- tell us that story. How did you keep getting better? Yeah. Absolutely. So my background is I spent 20 years as a principal of pre-K through eighth grade schools and in July 2019 opened a child care center and preschool just north of New York City. And it was grounded in being everything that I believed education should be for all the years and was challenged to implement in traditional schools, made progress, did some good work and really had this dream to have my own school that I could design as I wanted. And we were doing that. We were building up. We were getting the school to a place that I was feeling really good about. And March 2020, you all know what happened. Now, I was in early childhood. We were called essential first. So we never went remote. We never shut down. We had kids in through everything. 
And lots of the stress that we heard about from the K to 12 space in the really challenging 2021, 2022 school year, as people came back, we experienced first and very dramatically. And I committed to giving heart to whatever kids were going to show up. And in the early days, it was just six kids. We dropped from 100 to six overnight. This is an independent school. So this is funding is me to pay salaries. I was cutting into my own savings. Um, We did have to end up furloughing for a while. And this was in the early days in New York, just north of the city. So, you know, it's it's hard to remember back what that was, but we literally felt if a child touched another child's toy, they could die. I mean, we we yeah. it was crazy. And so we made a decision that we were going to create a place that was an oasis from the outside as much as we could. And so we focused, we really ground in on, on well-being on play, on helping kids feel emotionally good, on helping parents feel emotionally good and safe as much as we could. And in that freeing of ourselves from whatever expectations we had on ourselves Mm -hmm. and being able to be present, really fully present with kids, we stepped back and saw this magic happening that we had never experienced before. So in the worst of times, we were seeing this beautiful child-led learning came and reflecting back, I believe it's really because we allowed ourselves to be, we allowed ourselves to be authentic who we were. We weren't trying to follow a script. There were no scripts to follow. And in Mm -hmm. that freedom, we found this, this great results, this great environment, this great community and learning that stemmed from where we were and who we were and primarily where the kids were. Right. And it was, it was amazing. Yeah, it sounds amazing. We'll, we'll unpack it a bit. You know, I had this framework I call the ABCs of powerful professional development and the A stands for authenticity, right? And so just to reflect back to you, you said you were able to show up authentic as a, as a school and that led to freedom. You know, and so that's a gift. It can feel scary sometimes to show who you truly are, to act the way that you feel like you've you've been created, you know, and lead in that way and that kind of thing. Uh, what will others think of me or how the parents, you know, they're going to respond or whatever. But when you lean into who you truly are, there is such great freedom if you could get past that that initial fear. So things kept getting better. You said there was magic, which is wonderful. And I know that you experienced something called the highway to happiness. Can you can you describe yes. that? So that was that was the moment that kind of changed everything. So okay. I'm, I'm standing in this classroom. It was at a point where I uh, there was a short period of time, about six weeks, that I had to furlough most of my staff, and we were able to get them back. So it was me and one other administrator and one teacher in this one classroom. Everything else was closed and dark. And the kids were leading their own learning. Now, kids, this is preschool, preschool and toddlers. I didn't have any infants coming at the time. And they were designing and building. And so they had built a farm because they were into animals. And then they broke down the farm and they built a car wash. And they 
propped up this, this hose to really wash little cars, toy cars. And uh, they were really intrigued with water. And that was because COVID, we were washing our hands minimum every half hour. And we had this commitment that every single COVID protocol would be playful. So we played with washing our hands and we played with the soap suds and we made it a game. And so they were getting really into water. That exploration lasted about six months into water. We explored so much about water. This was the beginning of it. And so they're washing the cars. And one of the other children decided, well, we washed the cars. Now we can do something with the cars. So he took cardboard and he designed this, he called it his words, four years old, the highway to happiness. And the clean cars would drive down the highway to happiness. And at the end, he had just glued a picture of a sunrise and you would get to that sunrise and you would be anywhere you wanted to be real or imaginary. So then we were all playing with where would we go when we drove down this highway to happiness? Such a beautiful image, you know, and I love that it, that it ends there with the the sun. The thing with these, these uh, young students and their exploration, right? It's like imagination, it's curiosity. And I never, I never served in an early childhood setting, right? I did student teaching through teaching, instructional coaching, central office, local school administration was all six through 12. But I did get to work with pre-service teachers once at the University of Illinois, and it was with the early yeah, childhood ed folks. And I'll never forget, why can't we have most classrooms like these preschool and kindergarten classes where you said six months of exploration of water, right? And probably, why does this happen? And why does that happen? And you keep investigating. I don't know if there's anything that you'd like to, to add, but how you sort of stoke that, that curiosity, imagination. It's, it seems like a natural component, but for maybe the ruckus maker listening who's leading at a secondary level, like how can they take what the magic, like you said, and maybe implement it into their setting? That was my mission through all my years leading. It, I, I was mostly a lower school principal, elementary, Okay. in my 20 years as a principal, pre-K through eighth grade. So middle school. And I started my career actually teaching yeah. high school and I teach doctoral students in education. I've taught or led literally every age from infant to okay. doctoral students. Throughout my career, I always wanted to bring that play and project and childhood exploration of great early childhood education up through the grades and and hit it in pieces at places, never as fully as we can in the early childhood space. But what I would say is we spend so much time in education pushing down, saying to middle school, they have to be ready for high school, saying to lower school, they have to be ready for middle school, saying to early childhood, they have to be ready for kindergarten. What if we flipped it? And what if we pulled the magic of where our kids are up? What if we pulled that curiosity up? Because what's a four-year-old? They're a scientist. They, you're exactly right. They keep asking why and how and what. And that exploration of water, you could do at any age. You could bring in literacy. You could bring in math. You could bring in science. You could bring in the arts. You could bring in culture. You can bring in anything into those explorations that stem from children's learning. And, and I know in much of education, and I experience this, this pull to standardization and this pull to perform in particular ways. 
And so there's not that freedom that paradoxically we had when we were present during COVID, when the only thing that mattered was that we kept kids safe. That was nothing else mattered. Like Mm -hmm. getting ready for kindergarten was thrown out the window. And what we saw was they were more ready when they let them be. So if what I would say to ruckus makers of any age, working with any age, play with that exploration as much as you can, as much as you can within the constraints of the environments in which you are, play is the pathway to discovery. And that starts in early childhood. Love that. And can be pulled all the way up. Play is the pathway to discovery and we can pull it all the way up. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, obviously the, 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 the context of COVID was difficult, right? And devastation, challenging times, every, every corner you looked around, how do you turn, how do you turn those experiences that are so hard into ones that are hopeful and optimistic? What we learned when we were challenged in ways we never imagined is that there was so much more within us than we ever imagined. Hmm. And there were these two narratives that that I heard happening. And, and this was from the early days and everything happened for early childhood faster. Because remember, we never closed. We were called essential or many of us and we were allowed to stay open when right. it was us in the supermarkets, right? That was, that was it. Everything else was closed. So the schools were closed um, and shifting to remote learning was hard, but hard in a different way than coming to work each day when we didn't know what that meant. So, and There were these two narratives, first among early childhood educators, as well as the K-12 space. One was, this is horrific. This is horrible. This isn't what we signed on for. This is devastating. And there was this other narrative, which was, we can figure this out. And if we were ever called to be here for our students and for our teachers, it's now. This is when they need us. And who can we be through this? And who do we want to become coming through this? And then in the the following school year, as as the K-12s reopened and experienced all the challenges of COVID protocol and staffing shortages and shutdowns and quarantines and everything that early childhood had been experiencing first, that was a different challenge. And, And we faced that too. We faced staffing shortages so that that schools are facing. So that that became a whole different challenge. Uh, in the early days of COVID, we were we were overstaffed, and I own the center. Financially, that was really hard and really scary. In terms of education, we could do a lot more. Staffing shortages created a whole different problem. And and again, we heard these two narratives in the field. The loudest one being massive exodus of teachers. People are leaving. People have had it. People do not want to be in this field anymore. And that's real. And it's frightening. And it's understandable. Then there's this other narrative underneath of people saying, if ever there was a time we were needed, it's now. If ever there was a time we had voice, it's now. People are hearing our pain and our anger and our need. And, And what education deserves what our kids deserve. And for our kids to deserve that, what our teachers deserve, what our leaders deserve. So how can we take that enormous, legitimate, real, authentic emotion and take it to create 
what we want to see in the field. And those two stories are, are both real and they're both happening simultaneously. And for me, each day, it's a decision to say, I want to live the narrative of hope. I want to be the person who faces adversity and comes through stronger and with others, certainly not alone. None of us alone can really make the massive change we need, but together to join with others, we can change the field. Yeah, I love that. You know, it's this idea of we're, we're all in this together, you know, better together. This this challenge actually creates opportunity. Maybe this is actually the best time to be an educator ever because there is so much opportunity as a result amidst amidst all the challenge. So these are some really helpful reminders, you know, for the ruckus maker listening. So I am really enjoying our conversation. We're going to pause here just for a second to get in some messages from our sponsors. When we get back, I would love to talk about switching your, your mindset from a matter of if to a matter of how. Learn how to successfully navigate change, shape your school's success, and empower your teams with Harvard Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Get online professional development that fits your schedule. Programs run October 12th to November 9th, 2022. Apply by Friday, September 30th for our upcoming cohort at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. Courses include Leading Change, Leading School Strategy and Innovation, Leading People and Leading Learning. Apply today at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. Hey, Ruckus Maker. TeachFX has been an incredible sponsor over the years, and they do great work helping educators be mindful and reflective about how their talk, right, and how much talk they have in a classroom impacts student learning. Now, don't just take it from me that TeachFX is awesome, and it surely is, but check out what some real educators have to say about using TeachFX in the classroom. Overall, TeachFX is great at helping me become a more reflective teacher and continuing to build my lessons based on what the students need. I will be the teacher I want to be when I'm a, like no longer a teacher and I'm truly just a facilitator of class. Mm-hmm. And I think that TeachFX is a tool that will allow me to get there more so than like any other tool I've used. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. All right, and we're back with ruckus maker Shira Leibowitz. And I was sharing before the break, how do you switch your mindset from a matter of if to a matter of how? I have a book that came out this past summer, Havens of Hope, Ideas for Redesigning Education from the COVID-19 Pandemic. In addition to leading through pandemic, I wanted to tell the story of others who were facing the challenges with exactly that mindset of not if, but how. And there is one quote in the book, which is exactly that. And... It's from Josh Kaplan, who is the head of school of a a small independent school focused on sustainability outdoor education uh, in New York, Hudson Valley. 
And the quote is, leading through pandemic was never a matter of if, it was always a matter of how. And that's a choice. When we say there is no other choice than to figure it out and to be present for our students, we do that. So then, then, you know, figuring things out requires, requires us to level up in ways that are profoundly uncomfortable and stretch ourselves in ways that frankly, education doesn't support. The education system is so much about standardization, about the same, about, you know, things being similar and routine. And I get it, kids need routine. That's true. And we have that. But that leveling up and figuring out and willing to try things that we haven't done before becomes a mindset. During the pandemic, when we were open and everyone else was closed, it for me, it was not a matter of if it was a matter of how I, I wasn't going to close. We were allowed, even encouraged to stay open if we could. And we figured it out and we figured out hard things. And there's certain statements that that came to me that I that I repeat over and over and over again. So one of them was, if something works, it'll work until it doesn't. And then we change it. And so there became this comfort of we're ready to change again and again because things were changing again and again and again. So to get teachers and parents comfortable with these are the rules today, but they could be different by tomorrow. This is what it's expected of today, but it'll be different by tomorrow. But there's a certain core that remains, which is we're going to focus on the well-being of these kids and we're going to be present for them and that we won't compromise on. The rest we'll figure out. We did things different than everybody else did in certain ways. So one example, which is very much a pandemic example, irrelevant now, but relevant in how we can think things through differently to get to where we want to get. So everybody was not, early childhood centers were not letting parents in. And um, I couldn't imagine dropping your child off someplace during a pandemic that wouldn't let you in to actually see what the protocol, safety protocols were, to see what the cleanliness was, to feel it yourself. And so one of the early days of the pandemic, a, a mom a central worker was dropping her daughter off two years old and both of them are crying at the door, the, the trauma, the stress, the pain. And I said, you just come in. And I turned to my director and said, we're not doing this. Parents can come in. If it's safe enough for their kids, it's safe enough for them. If it's safe enough for them to go to the supermarket next door, it's safe enough to come here. We'll figure it out because what mattered was taking care of them and taking care of them meant they knew their kids were okay. They could see it. They could feel it. They could be part of that. And that's um, a long answer to a concise question of it's a choice that we're going to do what's right for our teachers and we're going to do what's right for our kids. And there are always constraints. And so many of the constraints now are about the systems. They're, they're invented constraints. They're not real. But, but we have to contend with them anyway. Yeah. You know, I call myself an unorthodox leadership coach and I tell people why follow the rules when you can make them up, right? And so one thread that I'm hearing in this conversation, which I, I'm so appreciative that you've pulled out, is that you, you, you have the opportunity to choose. You know, every single day, every single moment is an invitation and it's up to you on how you decide, you know, to move forward with that. 
So I highly uh, recommend Shira's book, Havens of Hope, uh, Ideas for Redesign and Education from the COVID-19 Pandemic. And that will be linked up in the show notes so our ruckus maker listening uh, can get their hands on a copy. Uh, I think that also sort of brings us to the to the next question, uh, which is, you know, you 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 invited parents in when when it was maybe, you know, against what was recommended at the time or what other schools were doing. And so my question for you is, you know, how how can school leaders stand out by highlighting, you know, what they stand for? So vision in most schools is done in a way that that can paralyze us. What's a vision, a real school vision? How many school visions do you, how many strategic plans, how many vision, mission, core value statements do you read? And by the time you get to the end of it, you can't remember if this school or another school, they they sound exactly the same. How can you get to the core of what you really believe and have that infuse everything in your school stand out by what you stand for. And so for me, it's one word. We got our vision statement down to one word, which is well-being. Mm. We'll expand that out. But it's what do you need to succeed in life? You need to be able to get to a place of well-being regardless of what's happening around you. And that means you're not always happy when we we talk about schools and parents wanting kids to be happy and kids wanting to please act like they're happy even when they're not. Mm-hmm. What if we allowed kids kids to feel whatever they feel and, and to help them face those emotions without being overwhelmed? Because that's well-being. And what if we thought about well-being in terms of uh, over a lifetime, what do you need to be okay? Um, you need financial well-being. So you need skills to have a career. You need relational well-being. So you need how to get along with others. You need physical well-being. So you know need to know how to take care of yourself. You need spiritual well-being and whatever that means. But 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 this feeling that that you matter in the world, that there's something important. So that one word, well-being, becomes everything. And and it's been so powerful in my school because it connects to any interaction between any two people, teachers and each other, teachers and students. And then it also becomes the big conversations. So it's it's how do we promote mental, emotional well-being for ourselves, for our communities, for our planet, as we've extended a focus on the environment and, and caring for the planet. So, you know, one word can be expanded out. And, I, and I, I learned that in the early days. So in the early days, as we were figuring out how in this childcare center where kids touch everything and play with everything and our social distancing does not exist with toddlers, it was impossible. How do we keep them safe? And, and so I started looking to Montessori and Montessori individual materials and, and reading a lot more about Montessori. And from the pedagogy, I came to have this much deeper respect for the vision underneath. And so the vision can be expressed, and, and this is where I learned it, really, and came to my one word, well, well-being. But Maria Montessori, I believe you can take her, her philosophy down to first one word when she started and another word, uh, another word is time went by. So when she opened her first school in 1907, the word was independence. This was about helping these children become independent because that's what they needed. And so much of the history in her life combined together as to why that mattered to her. Then 
she was in Europe during World War I and World War II. And it became all about peace. And so those really Zen Montessori classrooms where kids are really calm and there's the calming music, not many realize that she believed that peaceful classrooms contributed to world peace in a dramatic way, were warriors for the good we want to see in the world. And so that became incredibly powerful and important to me in terms of thinking about how do you stand out? It's it's not about the extra enrichment class you have or the extra program you have. It's about who you are at core and what your what gifts you're giving these kids that will last a lifetime. And, and that can be pulled down to something so simple, but so powerful. Yeah, you can't discount, you know, the power of one word as a, as a guiding uh, light, guiding star. You know, I have a personal philosophy. It's just four words, right? Be an intentional catalyst. And that, no, you know, that, that uh, sees the change that's happening all around me at all times. And then it's up to me back to the thread of a choice based on my energy. Do I want to accelerate change for good in this moment or for, you know, evil or negative, you know? And so that is, that always snaps me back, right? Like when I'm in the wrong state of mind and uh, it's an encouragement, you know, when, when things are flowing. So pre- appreciate you riffing on the idea of the, the one word. Um, thank you for that. So, Shira, if, if you could put a message on all school marquees around the world for a single day, what would your message read? Take care of yourself. Focus on well-being. I, I, that's the core. Be well. During the pandemic, I had this, this one salutation, which was be healthy and hopeful. Maybe that's it, actually. Maybe I would go back to that, be healthy and hopeful. Yeah, it's a good message to put out there. So you've already, you've been building a dream school, but I still want to challenge you to go through the thought experiment here that I ask every guest. But if you were building a school from the ground up, you're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation was your imagination. How would you build your dream school? And what would be the three guiding principles? Co-design with kids and teachers. Mm. Focus on well-being. And be honest about what's working and what isn't. Don't take it personally. And when it's not working, just fix it. Shira, thank you so much for being my guest here on the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. We discussed a bunch of great ideas today. What's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? I want a ruckus maker to remember that you matter and that whatever adversity you're facing, whatever challenges are before you, you have a difference to make in this world. And sometimes or oftentimes it's through the hardship that we find the blessing and the strength. It's not an accident that it's during horrific times in history that the greatest educational movements were born. And we do stand at a moment where we can create something new and magnificent. And when it's hard, Remember that you are an integral part of creating that. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. 
If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed. Mm-hmm.